Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that we can be here today, and we just pray right now that your word speaks to us, and we thank you again for the joy of being in this building to worship you, and uh, just open our hearts and minds for what you have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to be talking about I am the Alpha and Omega, and a while back I did the I am statements of Jesus, and I think Scott might have taught on the I am statements. I don't remember. Did you do that? No? Sermon on the Mountain, but... There's one that we usually don't do because it's in the book of Revelation versus the book of John. So uh, if you think about being first, we want to be first in line. Um, Have you ever had somebody cut in line? People's reaction to that? At the airport, um, everybody wants to board the plane first, which we don't know why because you just sit there. Um, we don't want to be last, because last not that much fun, right? And so it's kind of like winning and losing. Most people would prefer winning. In fact, have you ever been watching, uh, well, we'll use the Broncos as an example. So you're watching the Denver Broncos, and it's coming down to that last minute, and you have a feeling that they're probably going to lose. So you just turn the channel. You've been in that situation. And then you, you probably go back just to see. Um, you just don't want to see the other team win. And it doesn't make you feel any better, but it's kind of that competitive nature that we have. And so when we look at these I am statements, in Revelation, it's in Revelation chapter 1, chapter 21, and chapter 22, Jesus, in a sense, says the same thing with all the same meaning, but he has it in all different contexts. But I think there are some really important words for us to hear. So in Revelation 1, we read in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. You turn over to Revelation 21, and John tells us, in starting with verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and you will be my child. Then if you turn over to Revelation chapter 22, starting with verse 12, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Now, we're not going to study the book of Revelation today, okay? But I want us to see what Jesus, in a sense, means when he said, I am the Alpha and Omega. He's the first, he's the last, he's the beginning, he's the end. But what does that mean for us? Because I think it's really important to us to know what it means, but it's also really comforting. So, how does this phrase, I am the Alpha and Omega, change our life? Now, we probably know alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. How many knew that? So what do you think is the last letter of the alphabet? Omega. Okay, you guys are pretty good. Didn't know you were scholars. So Jesus is telling us that he is the first and the last, 
And that has eternal significance for us. Because Jesus was literally the beginning. And will literally be the end. He is the A to Z. He encompasses everything. He was before all time. And he will be there after time. So there's no beginning or no end for Jesus. And we see that in so many passages in the Bible. When Jesus makes these statements, I am the Alpha and Omega, it starts to make sense to us. So we don't have to worry about being first or being last. Because Jesus is all things. Beginning and ending. If you turn over to Colossians chapter 1, it's a very familiar passage that Paul talks about starting in verse 15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So what Paul says is really cool here. He says Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. That does not mean that Jesus is created. He wasn't created. He just wants us to know, Paul's telling us that Jesus was, was there at creation. If you go to Ephesians 1, 4, it says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So Jesus was before all things and holds all things together. Now, it's really kind of neat how Paul wrote this. That Jesus was there before all things. He was the firstborn of all creation. But then he goes over to verse 18 that talks about how Jesus is the head of the church. He's also the firstborn of the dead. So he was there before creation. He's also there for the dead. Because at death, we look at it as humans, that's kind of the end of the game. In fact, that's the world's philosophy, you know. One of the most toys wins, but then you still die. Life through Christ, we continue on in eternity. And that's great news. That's exciting. Because Jesus has been here without end, without a break, never taking a day off. He never sleeps on the job. He's in control. He doesn't have to wear face mask. He knows what each one of us is going through. And he's got it all covered. Even when you're struggling. And if you think about it, sometimes we hate endings. But every ending has a new beginning. And that's where Christ can be for you. He is with you in the end, and He's with you with a new beginning. Whether it's a relational ending, whether it's a health-related issue, maybe it's a life decision that you've been struggling with that you need to make, that maybe you need to make an ending. Remember, every ending includes a new beginning when it includes Jesus. 
Because He's always there. He is the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. And because Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, we don't have to be afraid. Nothing in this life should make us afraid. Do you realize that Jesus has it all under control? I mean, think about the world situation. How many of you watch news too much? I was talking to Leland up in Alaska. When he's up at the front desk, he, he watches the news on the Internet. And he's got kind of an interesting conspiracy theory about everything. And I said, why are you so worried, Leland? Why are you so worried? As Christians, we should not be worried. In some ways, if you think this is the end of the world, we should be excited because that means it's a beginning. I mean, that's, that's where it's at. So don't get so caught up into all, yeah, the news might be bad. But I'll tell you what, living in this world's bad. We got a great, do you realize, uh, do you realize it took a, about a year to build all this? And God's been working at over 2,000 years and stuff for our mansion in heaven. So think about what that's going to look like, you know? Um, we don't need to be afraid. Now, for the rest of the time, I'm going to actually talk on what we're supposed to talk on. But I want to focus on what Jesus said in Revelation 21. And I love what he says in the second half of verse 6. And listen to these words again. He says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So when God says that he's going to give from the springs of the water of life to the thirsty, he means exactly that. He's going to give to those who desire. For those who long for it, he's going to give. Because I really believe that there's a battle going on in us. It's a struggle between thirsting after God and thirsting after everything else. And we have this struggle going on. And we also, also, we also have this problem that we think somehow we've got to earn our way to God. That we have to do all these things in order to keep God on our side. And so we got this battle going on, and it's not an easy battle. Because you know what? The battle never ends. We have to face this battle generally on a daily basis. And so we have to have this desire to thirst after God every day. And that thirst for God has to be stronger than my thirst for anything else. So what do we do? What do we do? It's not an easy battle. And if you think about it, there are a lot of things that we thirst for. There are a lot of things that we thirst for that are probably not godly. Have you ever been really thirsty? Parched? Like being in Alaska in a bonfire? 
Mar Marilyn was a trooper with the bonfire, man. She, she'd come in and her face is red as can be. And I think, you're getting too close to the fire. <laughs> and her reaction was, I came up here to work. And she was a trooper. But maybe sometimes we're willing to give up part of our identity of who we are in order to get what we want. Because somehow it might make us feel good just for that moment. But it leaves us really empty in the end. That's why when we're filled with God's Spirit, we never run on empty. We don't run on gas fumes. But we have to put aside all those things that are pulling us away from Christ. God promises to meet us and to satisfy our thirst. Our thirst for Christ must conquer the thirst that we have for the world and all that's going on in the world. Listen to what um, Isaiah says in Isaiah 55. He says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So thirst in this context is a metaphor for life. We desire in our heart and spirit. And that's what Jesus is getting at. That's what Isaiah is saying here. Because we know what it's like to be really thirsty. When you're really thirsty, all you can think about is how good a really ice cold glass of water would taste. It's almost like you can't get enough of it. And that's what, that's the sense here. We all have moments in our lives where our situations are interesting. Maybe our marriage is leaving us parched. Maybe it's in our homes or our work, or sometimes it's even our relationship with God. We just feel kind of dry. It's bland. It's like the same old thing. And it's like we have this thirst for more. I want, I want something better. And God says, come to the waters. And he says, if you don't have any money, don't let that stop you. I like that part. But then God says, come, buy, eat. Now, wait a minute. How, how can I buy something if I don't have any money? How can I buy, in the scripture here, it says wine and milk and, and all of that. Does wine and milk go together? I don't, I don't know. But anyway. You see, God wants us to understand that he has not only paid for it, but he's wiped away the price. God wants us to know that he bought us. He, in a sense, is telling each one of us, I bought you. You're mine, and now everything that I have is yours. And he says, I'm going to give it to you without payment. It's free. The prices on the items are all gone. You don't have to be in a protest to go steal from Target. God says it's all paid for. The price on every item is gone, wiped away. It is cleansed for us. And it's a clear indicator that Jesus paid the price for us. It's nothing that we did. But we have to thirst. That's what Jesus is saying in Revelation. We must thirst. We must come to Jesus. We must open ourselves up. And God is offering what, what he's offering us is himself. It's the power of Christ coming into our lives. And then verse 2, 
of this Isaiah 55 says, Why do you spend money? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So Jesus is saying, if you were to go back into all those other I am statements in the book of John, he says, I am the bread, I am the life, I am the water, I am the wine. But he's basically saying here, I am everything. I am what you need. He says, I made you right with God. And he says, I will give you everything that you need, and it's going to cost you nothing. Jesus took the price upon himself. He died on the cross. He gave us the gift of forgiveness, the hope that we can have in him, even when life is not going as we hoped it would be. We can still have hope in him. And his hope will strengthen us. It will empower us. And we will have reason to live another day. We will find strength to make it through each day that we face. We can live our lives with Jesus. And I think if we have Jesus, we can get along pretty well. Without Jesus, there's always going to be something missing in our heart. But we need to become really thirsty. And I trust that we all have a thirst for God today. Jesus came so that we could experience we could experience the power of a resurrected life. That we could experience a transformed life. Alpha and omega means that whatever Jesus starts, he finishes. Paul reminds us in Philippians 1.6, he says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As we conclude, I'm going to give you a quiz. What is the most valued and highly insured painting in the world? What's that? The Mona Lisa. You are correct. It's insured for $900 million. And da, Vi da Vinci, um, he's the one that painted it by number, you know. <laughs> um, he was commissioned by a patron to paint this to celebrate his birthday. Now, if Leonardo da Vinci had strictly been interested in the money, he could have painted that portrait and just received his payment for it. But money was not the object with him. It says it took da Vinci four years to paint this masterpiece. He says that, and that painting has over 30 levels of different paint. And King Francis wanted the Mona Lisa, but da Vinci said it wasn't quite done yet. In a sense, it was finished in our eyes, but why would da Vinci do that? Why would he keep adding more and more and more to his painting? He did it because he kept working and reworking the image until he was pleased with it. Now what's interesting is he loved this painting so much that he never gave it to the person who had asked him to paint it. He kept it for himself. 
And in a sense, that's what Jesus does with us. He's constantly working on us and then reworking us. And then for me, he's reworking some more and some more. And then he's saying, okay, a little bit more, a lot more. Uh, and Jesus will never be quite done with us because Jesus, because to Jesus, we are valuable art. And he wants us to be the best because he only creates the best. And he wants the best for us. And he keeps it for himself because he loves us so much. Wow. So when Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, he's the beginning and the end. He's the creator. He's also the redeemer. And you know the Omega part is kind of nice? He's the end. He's conquered the end through the resurrection. And if you think about it, now I was preparing this in Alaska, so I've been all over the place today. So here's the actual point. And there's no clock back here. I have no idea what time it is. So I didn't take my phone out. So I'm sure that's going to be probably our first item that we buy is a clock in the back. But, um, so I've been all over the place, but, but here's basically what I want to encourage you to do. Thirst for Jesus. Because to know that he was there in the beginning, he will be with you in the end. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never abandon you. Instead, think of it as he's your creator and he's your redeemer. And he wants nothing else than to give us that cold glass of water because we're thirsting for him. And so I trust that you know Christ. You know what would be really cool if you don't know Christ today? Brand new building, brand new life. So I challenge you, if you don't know Christ, today's the time you need to accept him. Because he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the alpha and the omega, and he loves you. And just think of the masterpiece that he's making out of each one of us. Makes you kind of excited to get to heaven and see all the artwork on the wall, doesn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. And, and again, we just rejoice that we are right here in your house right now. And Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, or maybe there's some people here that have kind of got parched in their relationship with you and they're feeling kind of dry. And I just pray that all of us are thirsting for you for more and more and more of you. And Lord, we can never repay you or thank you enough for the new life that you offer us. But Lord, you just ask us to accept you. And so Lord, we accept you into our heart and life today. And we thank you for the new life that we have. And we just rejoice that you love us and you're constantly working on our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.